Good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. Are we ready to praise the Lord? Yes. Is this thing on? Can you hear me now? Amen. Are we ready to praise the Lord? Lights? There we go. There we go. There we go. Praise the Lord. So, bear with me as you see I'm in a different position tonight. So I'm going to open up the service from here. Um, I'm going to read a verse in just a moment and we'll get into some praise and worship. But uh, first of all, I want to welcome all of our visitors tonight. We have several new faces with us tonight. So I just want to welcome our visitors and tell you that this is a great place to be in. Please come back if you have an opportunity to come back and visit us again because this is a this is a great body to come and uh, be a part of. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to read some verses and we'll get into some praise and worship. So, um, the Word of God says, Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I just wanted us to read that tonight and be reminded that, that you know, we, we have an opportunity to obey the Lord and follow the Lord and, and know that even though the days are evil, we have a future that's beyond any of that evil, right? Amen. 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 Well, let's go ahead and stand up. We'll pray and then we'll give some praise and worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you and honor you and thank you for our lives and for this time and for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we just thank you for all the miracles and all the praise reports. We thank you for just uh, helping us and being there for us, Lord. Lord, tonight I just pray, Lord, that as we prepare to come and praise and worship you, Lord, that you would just, uh, Lord, just help us, Lord. Help us to bring bring us into this place, Lord, into that place of praise and worship. Lord, I just pray tonight that, that you would just anoint each person, Lord. If there be anybody here tonight that has any pain, any sorrow, Lord, that that would be taken away, and Lord, that they would have peace and they would have joy. Lord, we just thank you once again for this time. We praise you, we honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's remain standing as we bring our prayers and petitions to the Lord tonight.
Amen. We're going to change things up a little bit tonight because we know what's coming. Thank you. 
Lord, we celebrate you tonight.
on now there we go my heart is full full of rejoicing the Lord gave me a verse to read here and I want to read it 
And I want to ask the church, I want to ask each and every one of you, as individuals and as the church body, not the physical one, the church body of our Lord, to join me in a prayer of agreement to live by this verse. It's Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And I would like to ask the Lord for each of us and together that he gives us the strength, his strength, to do just that. He's the only one that's capable of doing that or doing it through us. And he wants to do it for us and through us or he wouldn't have given it to us in the scripture. So I'm going to ask you if you will stand with me as I pray. And as I'm going to do, if you choose to, reach your hands to the Lord in a prayer of agreement for these very things. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight grateful to be your children, thankful for your blessings, praising you for everything that you have done, for your glory, for your sacrifice, for your forgiveness, for your love, for your healing. We want to thank you for what you're doing here in this church body. We want to thank you for all the women that we have here who are willing to give of themselves to serve you and to come and be with us and show us that we're loved. It's another blessing from you, Lord, and we thank you for it. As this verse says, and you say in the scripture, rejoicing in hope, Lord, help us each individually and as your body to rejoice in the eternal hope you have given us. And that is not a hope, Lord, that we doubt we're going to have it. That's just the anticipation of it. Because we know when you say it, that's it. And we praise your name for that. Lord, patient in tribulation, we really need your help in this one, Lord. You know each and every one of these hearts. You know where we stand with you. Help us to listen to you. Help us to have your faith to stand in the face of tribulation because we know you stand with us. Thank you for that, Lord. Continuing instant in prayer. Lord, we want to talk to you. Sometimes we don't do enough of it. Help us to do more of it. Draw us closer to you. Give us the desire that you have to talk to us. Give us that desire to talk to you on a regular basis. We praise you that you even let us come into your presence and into your glory and that you put yourself within us. We praise your name for that, Lord. And as these people stand with me in a prayer of agreement that we stand on your word and we have faith that you will do as you say, And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Praise the Lord. So as we uh, prepare our hearts and get ready to uh, have the word uh, um, broken for us, the bread of life, by our brother Sheku, um, I'm just reminded this week that God is so amazing. You know, he has really instilled in my heart and reminded me that, that when I feel like I can't do something, I need to remember that with him I can do all things. And so I just want us to think about that this week and think about that tonight, that, that God is ready to help us do the things that we think we aren't capable of and not able to do. There was a time when I couldn't even pick up a bass guitar. And praise God, I got to play with the brothers tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before I call them up, I have a question for you. What did the mother bison buffalo say to her son before he left? I messed it up already. Bison. Well, first and foremost, I want to say um, welcome to Brother Noah, Pastor Noah. Oh, it's not on again. because I know after Thanksgiving, that was a little rough. I was awake and everybody else was ready for a pillow. So, and I know y'all ate good today because I had a chance to eat a little bit of it and it was, it was marvelous. So um, hopefully y'all can stay awake for this. Um, but we're going to read Romans 8. We're going to read verses 14 through 17. And as we read that, uh, really... Don't look at this as the foundation text. Look at this as something we need to hold on to as we go through the rest of tonight. So would you all stand in honor of reading God's word? We're reading Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. I am reading from the New King James, uh, which says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And you can say daughters as well. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, now you're just moving ahead of me. 
<laughs> For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Next verse. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Next verse. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also might be glorified together. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for such a wonderful night. We thank you for your word. We pray that you are with us in this time, that we hear from your spirit, and that you speak to each and every one of us, both individually as well as corporately, what you would have for each and every one of us, Lord. Help us to grow, be encouraged and edified by your word, and to be able to not only hear it and do it, but also to go out and instruct others and help others in doing so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the statement based on this, and it's going to be uncomfortable for some, but I need you to hold on to this as we progress. In that as we are adopted, in this moment, we are all kinds of problems. You know what that means tonight. <laughs> that we are our father's son or our father's daughter. So I want you to turn to somebody and say that. But don't just say it as a statement of, well, you know, I'm saying it because Seku said say it. Know that you are adopted into the kingdom and that the spirit with our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So turn to somebody next to you and say, I am my father's son or I'm my father's daughter. Now, I'm going to try to do this without having to put these readers on. I'm trying to avoid that because, you know, we're all a little vain and try to avoid being old. But the thing about it is, um, a couple weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago, we started on Psalm 23. And I remember in my hubris of saying, Lord, why should we go to Psalm 23? That's rather elementary. I mean, we say it at funerals. We say it all over the place. But I knew better go and do what I tell you to do. So we went through Psalm 23. Here I am thinking, we'll get through it, and it'll be the shortest sermon ever, and we only got to verse 2. <laughs> so who showed me? Uh, and so we got to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters or the restful waters. And that is about as far as we got. And we tried to go forward and bring up... Uh, the fact that he restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But as we started going down into that road, we got just enough time to say that there is a tremendous amount of restoration that a soul needs because all of us, especially if we're unbelievers or carnal Christians, have souls that are in pain. And that's about as far as we got. So then I have a number of people, well, when's part two? When are we going to finish this? Like, wh when are we going to get to the restoration of the soul? Because that's pretty important. And you know what it is. And not just for this congregation or the people that share uh, the background or the situations that have happened because of what we've done. But if you really look at the world, there is a lot of hurting souls. And even if they are believers, but they're carnal, which means that they still haven't learned to walk as a spiritual man, 
they are still trying to walk in their flesh, they're still holding on to pain that goes down way past their mind all the way into their soul. And Jesus works on restoring our soul before he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Because if he tries to lead you or I without dealing with us, it's going to be like two people uh, walking together until one of them decides that this is uncomfortable. And when that happens, you're no longer walking in agreement. I once took my, uh, my Aunt Andrea and my mom and my grandma Loretta up South Mountain. They'd never been in Phoenix before. And so they're loving it. They see this mountain off in the distance. We're all together on this trip. We're going up South Mountain. Now, keep in mind, they're all like Tennessee, Kentucky. They're like old school Southern. And, and so, you know, they've lived in Minnesota for a long time. They learned how to be Northern. But as we're going up this mountain, and many of y'all have driven up South Mountain, so you know what this is. You go up the mountain, and they're like, ooh, this is so pretty. Ooh, child, this is nice. Ooh. And then you hit that first turnaround, and then, you know, they get to look over and see that there's a good way down and a good way to get off the mountain. And all of a sudden, you start to hear from the back, say, ooh, child, turn the car around. Turn the car around. Oh, no, 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 mm-mm, no. Uh, uh, Auntie Andrea, Grandma, we can't turn the car around. You got to turn this car around. No, don't go any further. We can't go any further. There was something that caused discomfort with them that now we were no longer in agreement. Now we had to stop the journey and the progress because somebody was suffering. That's our walk with the Lord. You never notice that you have good days and bad days. You wake up and you're like, man, this is fantastic. I did my devotion. I'm doing great. And then God says, I want you to go in the, um, uh, down to the zone and go witness. I, um, there's plenty of other people to witness to, Lord. You want me to go where? Oh, so all of a sudden now, instead of walking in agreement, there is the Lord saying, let's go. And there is me with some sort of issue going I don't know if I want to go down. Uh, I want to go, but I don't. I, I got to go to work. <laughs> I will find something to do. And that disrupts what God is trying to do with each and every one of us. So he needs to work on our soul before he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, before leading is restoration, that word restore is shuv in Hebrew, which in a sense literally means a turn. Like what we have, repentance. In Hebrew, the word for repentance is teshuva, which means to turn around. To turn, which repent in Greek still means the same thing, to turn. So there is a turning that has to happen with your soul. There is some sort of change of direction that has to happen with the core of who you are so that he can lead you in paths of righteousness and y'all don't have that stutter step, you know, because this isn't basketball. You got to have that. When he walks, you walk. When he steps, you step. When he stops, you stop. And you say, well, I don't know about that. That sounds like a dance move. Go back to Exodus and look at what happened when they left. He says, do not move unless you see this pillar of cloud and fire move. That is the direction for our lives. We don't move unless God moves. And then when God doesn't move, we're not moving. And then when we see him move, we move. And so we learn to walk in step with God, to go the direction that he bids us to go, knowing that he goes with us, but it's a process to learn to get to that point. And we need to learn how to recognize and accept the restoration process. I had made the comment that we have souls that are in pain. We would think a physical pain, and we've had some people get healed um, of various issues, 
And they can tell you that pain in the natural has a way of dominating the way you think. Let something happen to your toe. Let some long-lasting injury happen to your hip or to your knee, and every, everything seems to hurt, even though that's the main issue. You're irritated because you're in pain. You're can't, you can't think straight because you're in pain. There is some issue that is bothering you, but it happens to spill out into everything else. Chris hits the snare on an off note. Usually, we can just get you know funky with it and roll with it. But when you have pain, all of a sudden, him doing just this one thing, just this pat in the wrong spot. I can't, I'm stop playing. I can't believe you played like that. And he's like, why is it so serious? It's not that serious. Why so serious? It's not that serious. It's the fact that you're in pain and there's something that is aggravating you that aggravates every other thing that you deal with. I feel bad uh, when I talk to husbands and wives and, and, and good friends because oftentimes all the vitriol and anger that they get is not all because of something that they did. It is because that person is already bothered. They had a bad day at work. Things are going on. And so they pour out. And you push the trigger and you're getting everything. Boss yelled at me. I'm taking it out on you. The dog did something on the carpet. I'm taking it out on you. They called and said they want more money. I'm taking it out on you. And you burn the toast. Pain makes it hard to hear. And it increases the sensitivity and if it does that in a natural, just imagine what pain on the inside of your soul at the depths of your character does. Just imagine how confused and confounded and distorted and twisted it makes how things are in your life. You can be a Christian and somebody says, boy, that's an ugly shirt. And you just all of a sudden go straight in the flesh and want to go deck somebody because you took a comment about your wardrobe as a comment about your person. Why do we have this pain? Well, it starts where? Come on, y'all been with me long. Genesis 3. Thank you. <laughs> For those of y'all, we go to Genesis 3 quite often because that's where a lot of issues start. And really, this all goes down to our, the, the first parents that we ever have in the natural, which is Adam and Eve. Because when they made a choice to eat off of a tree which God commanded them not to, it set in motion a downfall of things that we are now reaping the consequences of. Adam and Eve chose deceptive communication over truthful communication. In other words, they took the lie of the devil over the truth of God because it was productive for them. You say, well, why would you do that? Come on, now y'all do the same thing. Don't act cute because we got company. <laughs> because I could say something and then everybody will want to throw their TVs out you are conditioned to believe a lie even if you say I love the Lord but I still love NCIS that whole entire show is a lie I love the Dukes of Hazards. again that show is a lie Star Wars complete and utter lie but we love that fiction because it's productive for us but it's still a lie, and we're training ourselves to be good Christians, but still like white lies. I, I'm going to move on because I can see the looks right now. It's like, see, we got company. You shouldn't be meddling. But that's the honest truth. Think about it. 
If we really love the Lord and we have a love for the truth, like it says in Thessalonians that he gave uh, uh, strong delusions because they didn't have a love of the truth, then why do we appreciate lies unless they're productive? Now, nobody's going to watch television. Disney is going to be upset with me. So for the choice Adam and Eve made in action, disobey God in order to do something that is against their creator's will, but it's productive for them, so they rejected his word. Let's call it what it is. They rejected his word and they rejected what God said they were. An identity issue. Once they ate off the fruit of the tree, they realized that the nature of their relationship is now different. It has changed and not for the better. So because they rejected the word of God and rejected the identity that they were given... They ended up now having to cover up who they were, cover up, and hide from the truth. Do those behaviors sound familiar? We often find when we get in trouble, look, Skip is looking at me like, mm-hmm. <laughs> We've been in that boat. All of us have been in that boat. Just because you have, don't have a speeding ticket doesn't mean you haven't been driving too fast. But we all can see in our lives where we have picked up this ingrained behavior where our parents said something and we go, well, we're going to do what we want to do, but we're going to hide it from them because it's not right. And then when they come looking for us and we know we've done bad, oh, we're off somewhere acting like we're busy. I, I like when, um, actually, I don't like it. it. It's kind of unnerving. When I call certain people and I'm like, uh, I need to set up a meeting with you or whatever, and, and most people are automatically going to go, I'm in trouble. What'd I do? Speaking of which, where's Mike? <laughs> so we have this response to cover up and hide things. And when people feel like they're being called on the carpet, like when I call them, I don't know why, because I don't have those conversations with people very often. But when I call, all of a sudden they're like, well, I, I got to work. My boss just called me. Um, the dog, uh, uh, you know, something, Talladega, I don't know. Any excuse in order to avoid the conversation. So we picked up things from Adam and Eve that already set us on a bad trend. And then we turn around and see what happened later on is that God says, now it's time for me to act. And he rejected them from life and from their original purpose told them that now the things that you were going to do include pain. This wasn't the life you were meant to have, but this is the consequence of disobedience. And then he turns around and says, you know what? We're going to separate you from fellowship and separate you from the life you know. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Um, come here, Blake. Guess who you get to be today? You get to be Adam. You got to wipe the apple juice off your. So now here's Adam. He's already gotten the bad news. It's time for you to go. Genesis, the third chapter. And, and I want you to see this because I want you to see how the effects of it are still in us today. And we don't like this. And I want you to put yourself in his shoes and then tell me what you like what's about to happen. Genesis chapter three, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, Adam, out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. This is the only life he knows. This is the only place. This is where he woke up and came to life. And now he's being asked to leave into a land he was made in, but he doesn't know it. Leave. Wait a minute. Now, would you really 
Just up and leave. If I told you to leave, the only thing you ever knew. That's that's that that's that new mind speaking. I want you to go to the old mind. Next verse. Next verse. So he drove out the man. Last time I checked, you don't drive out something that is willing to go. So that means that Adam was like, ah, this is the only thing I know. This is ah, you're, you're just taking everything away from me. And God's like, go, get, go. Nope, get, get on out. Go. Well, you've been working out. Uh, so he kicks him out. And then he placed cherubim at the, at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. In other words, go and don't come back. How many of y'all would like it if you were in that same boat? You can come back. Adam fought back and lost. And in this whole experience of disobeying God, he experienced trauma, suffering, loss, and pain. I heard in a meeting that we had with Alongside Ministries and the other groups, the PJ meeting, uh, they were talking about inmates need grief counseling because they are suffering grief. And that struck me because that's very real. But by the same token, if you are an unbeliever or you are a carnal Christian, guess what you are also suffering? <coughs> grief. Because deep down, up underneath, while Adam and Eve knew what they lost and were part of the transition, everybody else that was born after the similitude of fallen man knows that there is a gigantic hole in who they are supposed to be, but they don't know how to put it into context. And so they spend the rest of their lives trying to fill this hole with anything they can. I don't know about you, but in my older days when I was in pain, used to love to medicate. And I'm not talking about Benadryl and aspirin. I'm talking about anything that could cover up pain. Anything that would give me a bit of reprieve from the suffering, whether it was E&J, tequila, staying up all night, chasing women, acting crazy, going all out of my way to be out of character because there's something going on in here that I don't want to deal with. And it follows me wherever I go. And then I come to Christ. And nobody, few people really address that in a way that's, as they say in the South, sits in your craw. In a way that is put right in your lap and says, do you see what's going on here? It's been generalized, it's been kind of spoken of, and, 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 and as you go along your Christian walk, you still don't know why is this like this, this, this rock in your shoe, what is this that's constantly bothering me? That is because... A fallen man is a rejected man. And when you are rejected by your creator, what are you? Who are you? And so all along life, we keep putting all these identities upon ourselves in order to try and answer those questions. Who am I? What am I? We try to replace the identity we lost and didn't even know we lost with an identity that we created with something that we make up, whatever works in order to gain acceptance. For example, the Pharisees in John 8, 37 uh, through 42, there's this conversation that happens with Jesus and the Pharisees, and you see this conversation happen within that. Jesus says, I know you are Abraham's descendants. That's a fact. But you seek to kill me because your word my word has no place in you. He didn't lie to him. He didn't sugarcoat. He just said the fact. You are Abraham's descendants. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. 
All of a sudden, now you start getting into their mess kit. Next verse. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, you're Abraham's descendants. They said, Abraham is our father. In other words, they're identifying themselves as Pharisees with Abraham, but you are who your father is, which means that they should be doing what Abraham did. So Jesus calls them out for it. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Next verse. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Now we got to change up the program because if you're a Pharisee, I got to do something that puts me on even kill with you. So what's the next verse? You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father. God, what happened to our father is Abraham. They got tired of the song? Don't act like y'all ain't never heard the song. Father Abraham and many sons. I'm not going to sing the song. We don't have time. <laughs> All of a sudden, they go from being Abraham sons to God's sons because that should give them a little bit of a better arguing perspective. And Jesus never... Uh, uh, he, what, he didn't challenge. He just said, you're Abraham's descendants. You came from him, but you don't do like he does. Oh, well, our father is God. Well, you sure aren't doing like he's doing. Next verse. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come from my, of myself, but he sent me. That really got under their skin. And that's in a good sense. That is them going, well, we have Abraham for our father. They're trying to figure out something that gave their identity value so that they could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus Christ. The unsaved and carnal Christians are the sensitive and sore, and they're seeking validation. In counseling sessions and dealing with some of the stuff from the state, they love that word, validation. You validate the feelings. But there's a difference between validation and affirmation, even in English. To validate something is to say, here's the information you're bringing me, and I say, okay, I agree with that. Affirmation is to speak and agree to the truth of somebody's life. Now, there's a big difference, because if there's validation... We want people to say, I accept you as being X, Y, and Z. It's my truth. I just want you to validate it. My truth, especially in carnality, could be way wrong. I'm a moose. I want you to validate that. Validate my mooseness or we're going to have problems. <laughs> I'm using an outrageous example because y'all have heard that before with very serious situations in this time. Because validation is something that people of pride seek in order to prove their point. Hence the word pride, especially the way it's used now. But man needs affirmation. Not who you are because you think you're that. Who you are because God said you are that. And sometimes that may not be what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear so that you can be where God wants you to be at. Validation, you need pride. But for affirmation, you need to be able to walk in humility. And you say, well, why would, I, why, why, why would I be hurt so much by people's comments? The other week, a couple weeks ago, um, I was sitting down and I was thinking about, you know, why should I be nervous about what people say or things like that? And the Lord speaks in his way, not like he used to speak 
the two times with the audible, but he speaks in his way when he tells me go this way or that. And it was, you've given people too much power. You've made them gods. You say, well, what do you mean by that? When Adam and Eve ate off the tree, it was because you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Do you notice that the people who have hurt you the most are people that in your mind you have given them almost godlike authority in your life? And they have turned around and said something, and you took their word as the immediate word of a God over the distant word of a God that you have to serve by faith. Little too close to reality. But that's fact. We look, especially most of us, most of us can say we have been hurt by our mother or our father or our grandparents, and oftentimes they didn't even know what they were doing, but we put them in a position of, you're a God to me, and when that God says something that sets me off, I have flashbacks to an old hurt I can't even contextualize in which a God who is God kicked Adam and Eve out the garden. You say, well, why would, how could they do that? At an early age, I'll tell you how they do that. You go walking over to the table, no! What you're feeling now is a conflict because somewhere in your developing character, there's something you want to do and something that a godlike figure in your life says, I disagree with your decision. Now, as a parent, you can recognize that and discipline a child in the way that they should go, which is not just beat them, but to tell them, look, this is why you shouldn't stick a fork in an electrical socket. But if you just yell at them because they stick a fork in the electric socket or embarrass you in the local fries, generally you're teaching that person, I am not accepting you as a person because it does not vibe with what I think you should be doing. Dangerous and damaging. You say, well, what about the pain in the soul? Look down at the core but beneath the anger beneath the sadness, beneath the frustration, beneath all these different things, and look and see a rejected soul who is just trying to hold on to something or someone that makes them valuable. You say, well, I'm a Christian. If you are still carnal and you haven't been able to sit down with the shepherd and let him speak to you about how much he loves you, about how he, from the beginning, him and the Father and the Holy Spirit as one, all had a plan for you. If you don't sit down and learn how much the Father loves you, you can learn doctrine, you can learn systematic theology all you want to. But the minute that crisis happens, you will revert back to protecting the flesh instead of saying, I have no fear because I know who I serve. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 18 through 21. We'll have to move a little bit. but um, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We don't even have to go any further. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. As a Christian, as somebody who says, Lord, I believe in you, come into my heart, I repent of my sins, I believe that your blood atones for me, and if you know what atonement means, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T, -E -E atonement, literally breaks down into at one minute. his sacrifice, 
open the doorway so that you could be restored to fellowship with the Father. And so there's the theory of it. I got it. I'm great. But deep down in the soul, if we continue to hold on to that uh, nature of I've been rejected and I can't trust anybody, then we have difficulty in our walk as a Christian. I've had people say, well, you know what, if, if, especially in our church, not uh, in our church, but of our church, but, you know, if they're Christians and they were Christians at the time that they did X, Y, and Z, how can they still be considered Christians? You know how many, uh, Skip, we've gone over the video, how many pastors have a problem with pornography, <laughs> adultery, fornication? You mean to tell me you come to Christ and everything is already done and, and, and wiped away and you live a perfect life for the rest of your days? If you don't deal with this internal issue about being rejected and learning how to trust the Father, you will always find something to medicate when you find discomfort. I don't care how holy you think you are. And that's something that we should be teaching Christians. Don't fall into the trap of overconfidence like Adam and Eve did, but start replying to those temptations like Jesus did. I've been fasting 40 days in the wilderness. I'm being tempted by the devil, and the only response I got to him is, it is written. I'm not going to speak different from my father. I'm not going to speak and try and reinterpret what my father says. I'm going to speak what my father spoke, stand on the truth that he has given me, and that's all I need. Well, you're going to be hungry. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Whatever I go through in this, you can't kill the soul, and you definitely can't take me out the hands of the Father. So I don't care what discomfort you're out to give me physically. I know that once I leave here, I am covered by the Father. So go ahead and throw what you want to at me. I am still going to serve the Lord. I'm going to declare who he is. I'm going to stand up and proclaim that my Father is loving, and I will do it in the face of opposition because it's not about my comfort as long as I'm with him I know that I am secure Hallelujah. to be recon reconciled Hallelujah. I like the second definition the first one's mainly about money but it's to reconcile those who are at variance mm. to put you and him back on you say, well, what about this restoration of the soul it's sitting down with you in that pasture now we've got your belly fed you've had the green grass and you've had the water you, you, you good you good you ain't gotta you know go run and eat nothing you're good right all right now let's talk let's have a conversation you and i sheep to shepherd shepherd to sheep hello now that you're here with me you, you're, you're good right? right now you need to know i got you right. you're loved I have covered you and I have restored you to relationship. What we got to go through and what we're getting ready to deal with, I need you to know that I got you and you can walk with me in strength and confidence because they cannot do anything to you. Amen. All of a sudden, when you start really letting the Lord minister to you, little by little, you start realizing, I can trust him. We're back on the same page. He has accepted me. That doesn't mean he accepts your sinful acts. He accepts who he created. He accepts what he died for. And that new man, that's what he accepts. Who you are and who he created you to be. You can't bring your filth to him and say, you got to accept this too. No, 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 no. 
But the problem with us as Christians is the same thing as the problem with us as people. We often think when we go to God that he snaps on us and yells and complains and tells us to repent of this, that, and the other, and we think this, that, and the other is us. Just like, that's an ugly shirt. He called me ugly. I didn't call you ugly. I called your shirt ugly. The shirt doesn't fit what you're wearing. I'm just using this as an example. Don't think I'm talking about his wardrobe. The shirt doesn't fit with your, 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 the rest of what you're wearing. But you're a great dude. It does fit with the glasses, though. But we think because somebody talked about our performance that they're talking about our person. And then we get offended in our person. If I work with Otto and Otto said, you know, you dug that trench and that trench was horrible. I'm not going to go, well, you know what? You're horrible. And you know what? You, you smell funny. I'm going to go, all right, I got some things I need to learn. Because he didn't call me a bad person. He just called me a bad shoveler. <laughs> when God says uh, I, that sin is not who you are, he doesn't speak con uh, uh, um, condemnation. Condemnation is trying to keep you in what God is trying to get rid of. No, that's not who you are. Conviction is saying you are called of God my blood has covered you. Why are you settling for things of the world? What is this that hurts you that you think you need to run to that instead of run to me? Let's talk. Let's reason together. It's to have those conversations with the Lord and actually let him minister instead of just reading his word and going, yep, I read my five chapters today. No, let him have a conversation with you. Let him sit down with you. Quit being so busy. Settle down. Sit. Turn the TV off. It's all lies anyways. Turn the TV off. Turn the radio down. Put the dog out. Spend time with God. Don't just go to prayer and go, yes, Lord, I got this problem with my knee, and these kids are bothering me, and the probation officer, and X, Y, Z. In Jesus' name, amen. And then you get up and leave. Where's the conversation? Did you sit down and listen for what he had to say in return? Spend time with the Father. I'm going to move ahead. I know that Eric really loves this. But when you start seeing that God is restoring your soul, now he can lead you in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Now he can send you out. Now he can have you go into places knowing that you're not going to shift or waver based on the situation. You're going to stand fast and firm based on his word. First John Chapter 4, so we need to wind this down. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. And I'm going to cheat and use the board because I didn't put my little sticky notes in here. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I have a hard time with love. Look at the problems that you have in trusting God. Because the love is not the warm and fuzzies, it's not phileo, it is agape, which means I am making a commitment to come under and work to your better, not about my emotions, it's all about my decision. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It, in this, excuse me, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. This didn't start with me going, wow, this God is awesome. I need to learn how to love him. 
Yeah, usually I'd say, don't sh- raise your hands. But I'm going to say, raise your hands. How many of y'all, when you got saved, said, I just love the Lord on day one? No, you sat in the mourner's bench, if, you, if you're from that kind of, you know, church. You sat, and the grandma had you sit in the front row, <laughs> put you on blast. That preacher got up there, got to talking about hell and sin and and needing forgiveness, and you're a sinner, and something got convicted on the inside of you, and you said, you know, I don't really want to go to hell. I'd rather go to heaven. And so you go up and you get saved more often than not because you're running from something. And he is the only one that provides security. That's not how God started with us. He started out of love. He started out of humbling himself to work towards our better, meaning sending his son while we were yet sinners to die for us. We learn to grow to that point to where we turn around and love others because we're not threatened by the world. We're not threatened by what you say. We're not threatened by how you see me. We're not threatened by being rejected. Jesus was rejected. He came into his own and his own knew him not. Jesus suffered the same rejection, but the love that he had was so much greater than the rejection being given to him by his peers that he was able to die for him even while they were cursing him on the cross. How many of us have grown to the point where we could do the same thing? And the only way that you can do that is by trusting God at his word. Verse 18 Beloved, if God so loved us, so ought also ought we to love one another. That's not a suggestion. But the only way that we can do that is by being restored and trusting him. Not medicating, but to learn. Not to just say, I'm, I'm leaving the medication alone. I'm going to serve God. That's, you know what? When you learn God loves you and he wants to heal you, the medication becomes distasteful. It doesn't become as fun, and it doesn't do the job nearly as well as the eternal creator. And now you start to say, why am I settling for something that is less than and repeating the same mistake that Adam and Eve made instead of going with his word and going with his comfort and going with his purpose and going with his will for my life and realizing that he has everything for me? What does the world have to offer? In 18, it says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Fear makes you run. I ain't afraid of no man. You afraid if they touch that nerve. You should have seen Oso Wentz yesterday when, when uh, um, he touched his arm. And, and he didn't really pay attention to it. But Oso was like, ah! <laughs> fear. Even if someone gets close to that nerve, you blow up because you don't want anybody touching that nerve. But if I know that God loves me, you can touch that nerve all you want. That man's dead. And who you see standing before you, entrusting God, realizing that who shall separate us from the love of God, a long laundry list of who shall separate us from the love of God. And guess what? In that whole list, nobody is successful. Who shall separate me from the love of God? The two greatest commandments that we have is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But you can't do that 
unless God restores your soul to where you trust him in the face of anything. Do you know what happens after that psalm? He says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And in verse 4, what happens? He sits down at a table in front of his enemies. But he trusts the shepherd. He's not going, my enemies might get me. He trusts the shepherd. The same point in which he wants to get each and every one of us. A couple weeks ago, in closing, we talked about Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 6, he went up after King Isaiah died. He was called into the temple. He saw the Lord and he said, I should not be here. But then, after his situation was remedied, when God says, who shall go for us? He said, here I am, send me. I don't care what it is. <laughs> in the New Testament, Paul uttered the same thing. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, persuaded, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, death, or any other created thing, anything shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a confidence that Paul had that I will stand in the face of whatever's going on because I know that God loves me and I am loved. And so whatever you do doesn't make a difference. But I want to play one clip in closing. This is from a modern day person some of y'all might recognize. This is a speech that this man, this is the last speech that this man said. And towards the end of the speech, which was about striking workers, uh, towards the end of the speech, he was addressing the concern that people had that there were threats on his life. Would you play that? Couldn't find it? Buffering. I thought the program shouldn't do that. <laughs> if not, I can read it. But it's a lot better if you hear it from the person who spoke it. Because I want you to hear the resolve that he had because he recognized that in this mission, it was God who had him covered. Did you show him how to do it? So I will read it then. Unless you got it. Towards the end of his speech, he said this. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We have some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I am not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I am happy tonight. I am not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The person who spoke that 
was Martin Luther King. Within 24 hours, he would meet his demise at an assassin's bullet. The boldness of Martin Luther King to recognize the God he served and that the mission was more important and nothing would separate him from the love of God made him make this confession within 24 hours of being shot. Am I saying that we are going to die a martyr's death? I don't know that. What I am saying is that when you sit down and actually spend time with God and let him speak to you, not you trying to tell him, but him telling you who you are, what he created you to be, why he created you, and just accept the fact that he loves you. When you can sit down and do that, you start seeing a growing confidence on the inside of you that when you go out into the world, it doesn't matter what title they give you or what they say about you or what they take from you or what they stand in front of you and try to block you from because you know I'm following God's will. And that's all that matters because that's what he created me for. And I know that I am loved. So you can do what you want to the flesh, but you cannot separate me from the love. That is more important to me and far greater than any threats that you can utter. Would you today, as we prepare for communion, allow him, not just today, but on a continual basis, to actually minister to you? Quit being theological with God. Quit trying to go with him with the words we created, hermeneutics and, and hypostatic union and all that. Be real with God. When you're angry, be angry. When you're happy, be happy. But go to him and say, Lord, this is what's going on, and this is how I feel. And then don't just vomit and then get up and leave, but to let him know and then to stay there. Get in his word. Hear his reassurance. Listen to his voice. Get around people who are speaking life instead of people around you, your cousins and them, that all they want to speak is death and football and gangbanging and drugs. But get around people who are speaking life and will speak to who you are and affirm the new creature instead of try and bring up the old. Learn to let God let his love on the inside of you so that you can stand in confidence knowing that you're no longer rejected. You're no longer disenfranchised but you are your father's son or your father's daughter and he is looking out for you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Mark got it. This institution which we are doing tonight, this communion, is exactly about the, the love of Jesus Christ. And while this is a somber event, at the same token, it's a celebration. It's a demonstration of his love towards each and every one of us that he chose to die on the cross. They didn't strong arm him and say, you know what, we're going to take you to the cross and that's going to be the end of your ministry. He chose. He could have gotten off the cross, but he chose to fulfill the mission because as we or the Romans or the Jews or the rest of the world was staring at him going crucify him, he was saying they have no idea what they're doing and I love them. Do not lay this to their charge. So we remember that because this reinforces the fact of how great a cost it is 
to each and every one of us that came from the Father just to show He loves us and is in the process of restoring us. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this bread which is given to each and every one of us and broken for each and every one of us. We ask, Lord, that as this body broken is now unified by being consumed by your church, that you unify us together and with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for the redemption of each and every one of us. We thank you for the new life that you have given us. And we ask, Lord, that we have spirits and souls that are open to hear your voice of affirmation for what you have created us to be. And we thank you once again in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you rise up from this table, you proclaim his life. Let's pray. Father, tonight, we ask you to open us up, not to the world, not to hurt, shame, and suffering, but to open us up to your voice, to your word, to your spirit, to you telling us who we are and what you created us for, and to you healing the broken, distrustful, rejected, angry souls that we try to align ourselves with and instead restore us to a place where we trust you completely. We depend on only upon your word and we are reassured in the confidence of your love that nothing can remove us. And Lord, tonight, let it not be just tonight, but let it be a process for the rest of our lives as we grow in understanding your love for us and we grow in our confidence of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand? While I am hoping that and understanding that some parts of this, and we didn't even get to a lot of unsettling, but can be unsettling, I would hope that you look beyond the unsettling to the Father who is looking to settle you. That if he touched the nerve, it is because he is showing you something that is blocking your confidence with him. And he wants you to be able to stand and whatever capacity he has you called you, fearless of man, fearless of hurt, fearless of harm, and trusting only in him. And all of us can grow in that capacity. So tonight, be encouraged. If the Holy Spirit convicted you of something, look at it as, Lord, this is something that needs a change because this is not what you have called. And trust that the Father chastens those who he loves. So at the end of chastening, there is a reward of righteousness that is waiting for each and every one of us. Would you all lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the restored and redeemed church say, Amen, Amen and God bless you.